great to be in Adelaide, Luke. It is. It's nice and cold. This is the first time I've been to Adelaide in quite literally 20 years. Really? Yeah. And what are your thoughts? Hey, it's nice. I mean, I, I did get off the plane, go straight to that hotel, fall asleep, come to Ahi. So, haven't had a chance to do much sightseeing, but it is, uh, it, 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 it's is—it's—it's—it's a lovely city. And Ahi's has been kicking huge goals. It's uh, the first time it's been in Adelaide. Uh, this mm. is the um, hotel conference uh, uh, that we enjoy each year. Uh, last year in Sydney, even during uh, lockdown restrictions, uh, mm. sorry, uh, restricted trading, I should say. And then uh, um, James Wilkinson, the man himself, has uh, has brought his his his, his miscreant behaviour to uh, yet another city. <laughs> it is genuinely an exceptional event. Like it, just the. I think it's the one, uh, not the one, but it is It is one of the industry events that is populated by kind of all of the very top people from the sector. Like, it's pretty exceptional to see the people in the room. All the major hoteliers are present at, at a very, very senior level. So I enjoy it every year. And, and, and such luminaries as, as yourself and uh, and our, our guest uh, today, <laughs> who we've actually... <laughs> But chased around, chased around the country, literally trying to get an interview with him. Um, right. But we, we two years ago, I've suggested we uh, we yeah. do a podcast in Melbourne. He eluded us, but uh, we found him. And um, who is it? Julian Clark. He has literally just stepped off stage uh, after his um, presentation at Ahi's, CEO of Lansmore Hotels, which is a uh, a, a boutique collection of boutique, um, I guess five star. Um, beautiful properties, um, you know, fairly well spread out across the east, uh, east coast of Melbourne, um, in Palm Cove as well. But um, really good business, really switched on guy. Um, he's, he's always speaking at Ahi's and I very much, uh, sorry, every year he speaks. So I always look forward to his um, his thoughts. So very excited to hear the story of the uh, of the business. Uh, and El Presidente of the Accommodation Association, is he Correct. not? Correct, he is. And they're doing a few things which I'm sure he will talk about in terms of looking how they, um, uh, I guess, align or amalgamate with other industry associations at the moment, which I think is uh, is, is a bit of a topic that's um, garnered some interest here this week. Well, let's get him back on and then we can get back to the conference. Nice. Julian, it's a pleasure to see you, my friend. Good to, good to be here, mate, and see you too. You've just come off stage at AHOS. I have, yeah. Did you read the riot act to the room? I was very busy doing I, other work. I wasn't paying attention. There's not much of a riot act to be read, mate. I, I, don't, I don't wield that sort of power. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I was honest and told the truth. That's what I tend to do. So, What's been the uh, main theme that you've absorbed thus far over the last sort of day, I guess? There's a huge amount of optimism, I think, at the moment, you know, yeah. uh, and actually it's one of the things I said on stage is that we've almost glossed over how scarring, you know, the last 12 months have been for a number of places and it's back to optimism. But I think, to be fair, everyone's excited to see each other, you know, like we've got 700 people that are, who would have thought that hoteliers are the yeah. people that are going to be having the, the largest <laughs> the largest gathering, you know, um, from a convention perspective mm-hmm. uh, first. But, yeah. Um, yeah, for listeners, we're talking about the Australian Hotels Incentives Conference and Exhibitions Conference. Yeah. I, didn't, I, don't I never knew its full name. That's, that's let's just go with that. What are you looking at? Oh, I'm just accessing, accessing the creative part of my brain as I try and <laughs> nail the letters to words. But Australasian. Australasian. Hotels. Something conference Incentive. and exhibition. Incentive. Here you go. It's written on our, on our lanyard. Oh, yeah. We Australasian it. Hotel Industry Conference and oh, Exhibition. Yeah, incentives was a weird Okay, choice. well, let's move on. Well, it's, um, good, um, <laughs> it's good. There is so, so much optimism, obviously. Like, it's everyone seems in pretty good spirits. Obviously, getting back together has been a, yeah. a good thing, but um, it, it's it, it's good to see hotels sort of bouncing back pretty quickly like the rest of the market has in terms of F&B and hospitality. Yeah, look, I think... Um, it's different in different parts of the market, you know. Um, and if you're, you know, domestic leisure, you're absolutely flying. You know, try getting a room in Byron right now. You're probably paying 50% more than you used to and good luck getting one. But if you're CBD, Sydney and Melbourne, the optimism comes from, you know, maybe you're trading 45, 50% instead of, you know, what you were before. So it's still 60% down on what yeah. it was. I mean, it, there's... So it's more looking to the future that we feel like Australia's in a good spot and that's going to flow on and that, you know, we're going to survive. I think it's all relativity, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we might as well start off with uh, yourself. 
and I guess then leading into your business. Do you want to just give a bit of a backstory for people who may not know who you are? I presume or... that the vast majority of people won't know who I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once they hear your resume, they, they will. But um, yeah, a bit of your backstory, um, the, the business. Um, you're obviously, sorry, you're also a member of a number of boards yep. and, um, and different organizations. So just give us a bit of a. An yeah, yeah. So um, I, I, uh, I live in Melbourne. Uh, <laughs> I grew up there um, and it's a family business, the one that I'm in actually. And so um, I never intended to work in it other than, you know, from year seven onwards, mum and dad sent me to work in there and, and, you know, in a variety of departments, not to learn the business, but to learn the value of a buck. Um, And, uh, and, you know, mum said the other day, you know, the greatest failure was that I was in repairs and maintenance for a while and I'm absolutely horrendous at that. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I never intended to work in the business. I went off to, you know, I did an arts comm degree at Melbourne Uni and then uh, moved into the corporate world. So um, I moved to Sydney and worked for Westpac there and then followed a girl to the UK and um, and worked over there in at Betfair and Royal Sun Alliance, mainly in sort of strategy roles. And then that relationship was no longer and I decided one day in November at 3.30 that I was looking out the window and I was, you know, thought it's raining, it's cold. I've been here for a couple of years. I think I might go home. (laughs) Did you just get up and get onto a plane? (laughs) I I did a good... I I decided what I wanted to do was a ski season, um, write a book and live in New York. Um, So I... I did a very truncated version. I uh, crashed on a mate's floor in New York for three months. I went out and did a couple of weeks at a mate in Park City. Um, and uh, I decided that I had, I started to try and write the book and uh, was pathetic and ended up writing um, more of a, a screenplay that never got finished. And I just had too much fun in New York, you know. <laughs> That's pretty easy. There for, five, five, for a while and then, then came home. Um, and uh, so, yeah, did that and went into business and sort of uh, said to mum dad, I've worked in three industries now, you know, what do you reckon? You know, should we have a crack with each other? And uh, my dad told me that it'd be killing my career. And I said, I really don't think that it'll be a problem. I'll just walk back in if we don't like each other. Um, mm. I'll just walk back in to what I was doing. And uh, so I had a, had a year and, um, and we decided that we'd give each other another three years, but it was very strategic. So mum, mum was actually the MD of the company. Um, uh, she built the first three hotels that we had, and you know that was mm. where we started. And um, and uh, she left the role or vacated the role in March two thousand and eight. So Bear Stearns fell straight after that, and I and I walked into the GFC in my first year as CEO. So mm. um, that was a, a baptism of fire. Um, then after three years, um, again, we sort of reassessed and said, do we still want to be together and do I still want to be in this industry? And we said yes. Um, and then after another couple of years, we reassessed and that was probably the real juncture where I either stayed or went um, at that stage because I was starting to become, you know, five years as a hotelier. You can move back to the corporate world if you right. wanted to or uh, do that and then, and then or you stay. And the reality was that, you know, you become pretty passionate about this industry, and and um, and that was the the juncture where I said I'm I'm in it for good. I'm in it for the long haul, and uh, and that's what I've done. So I'm now I don't know 14 years or something like yeah, that. Right. You know, in in the role, and um, but I started off as CEO when I was 28. So it was a funny story. You know, I wasn't allowed to go to some of our hotels because they're pretty high end hotels, and. You know, as a 22-year-old, I wasn't allowed to go stay and then I came back and, you know, was running the business a year after I came back to <laughs> Melbourne for the first time. So um, it's an interesting story. It was never that preordained, you know, that you're going to go down that route. In yeah. fact, it was the opposite. Um, and then in terms of the board stuff, you know, people had asked you and I just said yes. Yeah, you right. know? So, um, you know, I've ended up being on several sort of boards, um, you know, industry associations, uh, convention bureau boards, all that sort of stuff, and you know, at the moment I'm president of the accommodation association. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and what does that involve? That that a lot of time and effort for no money. <laughs> 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 um, oh, look at 
It, it involves. I, I can attest to that, by the way, as an outgoing chair of an association. <laughs> it's. Um... And, but you're forgetting the criticism that comes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Coming yeah. off straight yeah. in from the side. No. Yeah. Um, uh, look, it, it involves. You know, it's like running it. And a, a small organisation um, and trying to deliver member benefits, but then it's also got the government advocacy arm. And so right. it's it's very much speaking to government, advocating to government about, you know, um, the opportunities and the challenges that the industry has and, and, and how that can be, you know, capitalised on or, or fixed. So, um, yeah, and you sort of do it, to be honest, to try and grow the industry, you know, and, and, and make it a better space, you know, to, to be involved in. Is, is that work that has had to ramp up significantly with the challenges over the last 12 months or is it? Oh, during, to give you an idea, during the time when, you know, the proverbial was hitting the fan, our board was meeting weekly yeah. uh, for an hour every Monday um, talking about what we needed to be speaking to government about. Then that started to move back to monthly and now it started to move to a bit more of a normal normalcy. But we're, we're amalgamating with the um, TAA, AHA at the moment. So right. that then, you know, has had a fair bit to do with that also. So um, it's been a probably more time commitment in the last year than usual. Um, but, you know, the reality is when you chair, that's your job. You know, you, you take it on, you've got to do it properly. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that crisis management piece and then I think everyone worked out the common themes and then who was going to advocate on them and then, you know, then you sort of put the effort back into the sector and just trying to help as many businesses get through. That was my experience when I was at the Nighttime Industries Association. I imagine it was very similar for you. Oh, it, has been. it was surreal. I mean, you know, it's funny. I looked back... Um, I'm part of this uh, group called YPO, Young Presidents Organisation, oh. and I look back on it. You know, you get together once a month, and um, and I looked back on a video post that I'd done, and I was like, okay, business is going to, you know, I think, you know, I was in America at the time, and I was checking out a whole bunch of new hotels, and and um, and I flew back March five, and there was someone with COVID on our flight actually, and it was interesting to see how it all changed, and um, and uh, yeah, and so I was saying, oh, look. We're just writing new new contingency plans every day, and you know I think it might even get down to 70 percent gone. And you know, we're laughing at that now. You know, at my Victorian hotels were closed for seven months. Uh, you know, all bar you know probably three or four days each. You wow. know, so we lost we lost you know as a company and all the hotels that we managed. We have ten. Ninety nine percent of our revenue within a two week period, and. Um, and our Victorian hotels, of which there are six, uh, had zero revenue pretty much for seven months of last year. So, you know, when I say to people that my entire organisation, including myself, was stood down mm. um, uh, and, you know, trying to find a way through, that was the reality. And so um, it, was a, it was a brutal year. And speaking about your organisation, where are you at now, uh, given your... And yeah. Tell us a bit about your portfolio. So, oh, sorry, as a company. So um, we started out as an owner-operator. Um, uh, when I joined, we had three hotels. Um, we still like owning, but most of what we do now is management agreements, which is a... You know, for those outside the industry, is sort of one person owns the building, another one manages it on their behalf. Um, and that's the predominant model, obviously. But we just settled on a hotel yesterday. We still like, you know, buying stuff, you know, but um, we just can't grow to where we want to, you know, um, with that. I mean, you know, to buy a hotel, well, let's take a 100-room hotel in a city, you're talking about $50 million, you know, we just don't have anything remotely like that as a family to grow, you know, the way yeah. that we do. So um, so we're now in in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, you know, we've got a few in Pipeline and other capital cities. Um, we're in far north Queensland, um, in Palm Cove and uh, throughout most regions of Victoria actually. Um, so we've got two arms to the business from a hotel perspective. We've got the um, the branded stuff which is Lancemore and then we run some white label management so some of our hotels you know you don't see Lancemore associated with the brand at all we just bring our our capability to the to the game um and then we also have you know a bit multifaceted because a lot of our our hotels are full service um so we run 
quite a few restaurants, yeah. you know, a lot of, lot of functions. Um, and, uh, and then we also run day stars, um, uh, too. And just to really show the hospitality diversification, three of our hotels are on vineyards. So we have a winery. Um, <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a genuinely diversified hospitality group, you know, um, that started off in Victoria and has grown into a, a sort of national, um, play. What was the? Can you share the acquisition? The, the yeah, Cleveland Winery um, oh, up in Macedon Ranges. It's just about ten k's down the road from another one of ours. So we've just you know added another ten hectares under vine uh, yeah, to well. our small wine business. And, uh, <laughs> and so yeah, no, look, it, it was um, we'll, we'll, we'll put a bit of money into it and yeah. and, uh, and reposition the assets slightly, but we're excited about it. Sounds like a business that uh, you don't get criticised for being. Um, um, all your passions rolled into one, like day spas, yeah. like wine, food, beverage, accommodation. It's um, sounds pretty good to me. But like, is it is that part? That's of why diversity? it's easy to be passionate about yeah. what you do. To be honest, there's yeah. diversity, and you know that's what I like. I sort of thrive yeah. on new challenges, and you know, if I'm doing the same thing, I, you know, I get bored. Yeah, and yeah. from a product position, I think it's for people listening who aren't familiar. They're obviously sitting at a top, you know, boutique. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we've got, market. you know, to give you a bit of a flavour. Of the top 10 hotels in Comnas Traveller, we've got two in our portfolio in the country. You know, yep. TripAdvisor, we're regularly, you know, at the, at the upper end of where, yep. where we sit within the, our markets and in the country. So, yep. yeah, some beautiful, beautiful yeah, properties. amazing. Yeah. Uh, how did you – so, um, sorry, going back to the last 12 months, you said obviously brutal. Well, I guess what's been could, – could, did you have a strategy? Could you formulate a strategy yeah. um, on how to manage that and how to get out of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd had the – the fortune of being through the GFC. So I literally dusted off that strategy, but then you just need to um, accelerate it by a gazillion times. So there's a lot of um, just to quote Robbie Deans, you know, play what's in front of you, to be honest also, right? Because, you know, we knew that the headlines and then I'm fortunate enough to have a fantastic team that I work with. And, you know, there was a period of time where, you know, I just sat back and after about a month or two when you you know, you sat back and thought, okay, where are we really heading? So then we put a full strategy together. Remember my background with strategy, so yeah, something yeah. that is there, full strategy together and just started ticking it all off, right? And it sort of had to cover every aspect of the business. Um, and, you know, the whole thing that we looked at is first, how do we how do we get through this, you know, as best we can? And I said to the team going into it, I said, it's going to be, going to be stuffed no matter what happens. The only thing that we can work out is whether we're proud of how we how we handled ourselves during this time and we need to do things that we'll be proud of. So, you know, there was a lot. I've never communicated to the team organisation more than I did, you know, um, during that time. And, you know, there was a lot of trying to keep people's heads up and, and give them hope and, and, you know, yourself too. You know, I, I, I ended up writing a... Uh, an entire thing on resilience that we, you know, sent out to the organisation because there are a lot of people struggling with mental health, mm. you know, in our industry at that stage. And and um, so, yeah, we just worked through that plan and, and at a broad level it was get your ship in order, you know, tick off all the things that, that are going to potentially bring you undone and then be as aggressive as you can. So, you know, um, we, we never we never did anything that would jeopardise our long-term health um, uh, and success. So... You know, the greatest irony is during that time, we we signed more deals in a shorter time than ever before while we had the worst trading that we'd ever had. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think we're pretty proud of, you know, of how we handled ourselves during that time. And then mm. coming out's presented totally different challenges. You know, who would have thought that the greatest challenge coming out of something like that was, was finding great people? Yeah. You know, and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, throw throw another one at us, right? So, um, but I, you know, I feel I feel like very little will rattle me after last year, to be honest. Can we? Uh, 
go on the people bit just sure because uh, the value in this is that uh it's, it's it's what everyone's talking about and it's also a point in time i think where uh for people listening uh i guess feeding back some of the discussions that we're having at the conference like what yeah because when it sounds counterintuitive to people outside you know we just went through pandemic so there's all these people that looking for work and then you know you actually look at the employment numbers and it's like well you know new south wales every job that was lost has been replaced so yep. Uh, and then you've got borders shut, so you don't have inbound immigration as you would normally. International students aren't here. Like, what do you want to give us the your perspective on on the people challenge for sure. the sector, and maybe how we um, what what can what government can do, what, can we what, do? what yeah, other people yeah. can do? Uh, look, I think um, you know I said it was a, a blur going in. It was a blur coming out too. When you know when the borders started to open and confidence started to come back, and you know being from Victoria, you know once that changed. We, we found ourselves going from, you know, pretty low occupancy in, in a number of hotels or not open to doing records within a month mm. um, in our regional leisure properties. And so, you know, we were talking at the early days, okay, let's, let's get, you know, we're trying to find certainty for people sort of thing because we know how hard they've been doing it. And so we're like, okay, let's, let's take a risk and do this and we'll, we'll bring the, you know, these people back to five days. And then literally two weeks later, it's like, we can't find enough people, right? So you were almost running two separate businesses. There was, there was one part of the business that was, you know, exposed to the domestic leisure, you know, customer that, um, you had a heap of demand, probably more than you have ever had. Um, but, you know, the team were, you know, not there and you're trying to find people. And in our case, in regional locations, you know, there. Yeah. Um, and big food and beverage, you know, uh, and housekeeping, you know, yeah. the, and those were the areas of difficult. Whereas you go to our CBD hotels, you know, their struggle was finding the business and um, particularly around the more traditional rooms, you know, area. I mean, a lot of people have been laid off, so it was actually pretty easy to find people in that area. Um, and yeah. at a senior level, um, at a general manager and above level, you know, there's plenty of people that are around in that space yeah. also. So, so I think, you know, it's about isolating where the challenges mm. are, and yeah. I think they're particularly in housekeeping and food and beverage. Um, and... I think there's several things that are a part of it. You know, like you mentioned, you, you know, well, visas, you know, let's be honest, the people that were living here on visas were not particularly well looked after, you know, by the government. Now, fair or not, everyone will have their view on that. Um, but, you know, a lot of people left the country for obvious reasons, right? Um, or they changed industries. So, so visas, you know, are, are an issue. Um, and then backpackers, obviously, that crowd is no longer there. And, and, you know, then you add international education not being there. You know, that's a number of people that also used to work in our yeah. sector. So you're talking about some really big feeder markets to, yeah. to the sector that um, are, you know, turned off. So... Um, the simplest thing is to say they need to be turned back on, but the reality is that's politically unpalatable right now. Yeah. So you need to look, and I don't think Australians are going to say, no worries, let's let's make sure that our restaurants have got international, you know, chefs coming in from overseas or whatever it may well be, and we'll run that risk. No way is that going to happen. Mm. So I think everyone's talking about how um, we can shift the needle beyond that. Um and one of the things that we talk about within our organisation is, um, you know, we've been in some locations where in a regional space where there's not as many people in this, as in a city, right? And so the, the talent pool is different. You know, there's less people and they might not have the same uh, work history, but you look very strongly for things like attitude, which we do anyway, of course, yeah. but you know, things like reliability and stuff like that is a lot higher than what you would normally uh, think of. So I think there's that sort of aspect. And I think also, you know, we made the call at a couple of our hotels to shut the restaurant um, for two days a week rather than seven days a week because we recognised that not doing that was going to burn out our team. And it was, you could see it was happening. And, um, and we didn't want that to happen. So, you know, um, and then of course, you know, you were just permanently recruiting yeah. you know that's the yeah. other thing is that you're looking for people. so i think you know there's a myriad of things that everyone is doing um 
uh, of course, you know, being a place that people want to work and good culture, all that sort of stuff is, is fundamental too. You know, mm. you want to keep people. So, um, but trying to navigate that and the financial side of things is is the greatest challenge that we're seeing in the industry right now, right? Yeah. Um, I think yeah. there's um, a, a, another factor and it's particularly um, noticeable in, in Victoria because they had the longest lockdown, but I think the lockdown period that everyone uh, had to endure, whether it was a couple of weeks or, or what was it, four to six weeks in New South Wales, Sydney in particular, and what, four months in Melbourne, um, I think that's driven a lot of domestic workers uh, out of hospitality no, as no well. Question. No question. I, I, I'd say like probably 30% of the people that we speak to through our business who are career hospitality professionals and domestic um, hospitality professionals um, have experienced what work-life balance actually means and, yeah. you know, not working weekends, not working nights and just are refusing to go back to work. Yeah, I think, there's, I think there's a degree of that. I mean, that was a massive omission in what I was saying, to be honest, because there's a degree of that. The other one is, though, I think that, you know, as we shut down, people are being conditioned to know that hospitality is the industry that shuts down first. Yeah. And so that it's seen as more insecure work, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's the combination of those that, that are doing that. No, I hadn't recognised how big an issue that or how big a factor that was until I started to read in America that they're having the same issues. Right. McDonald's so, is paying. I saw a sign on LinkedIn the other day. McDonald's in the states is paying people fifty dollars just to attend interviews. Like you don't even have to get the job; they will pay you fifty dollars. That's extraordinary. It's, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So look, it's, I think it's definitely a challenge. Equally, you know, I, I we will get through this, and and uh, we'll find a way. Yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? That I, I guess, um, just. When listening to you talk about the communication that you had with your own organisation here at AHIS and it is record numbers almost in terms of people mm. coming and, and I, as a long-time attendee as you are, uh, would observe potentially that the sector's more open to listening uh, and learning in some ways than mm. perhaps it, it uh, may, may have been at other times uh, in other market conditions. And I think that the, uh, the sector... Um, knowledge exchange and uh, communication. It'd be great to hang on to this uh, as, a, as a hallmark of uh, you know, mm. the sectors that we work in and, and see it continue. This is what I hope would happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, as a, because it, particularly across this sector, there's a fair, fair amount of competition, but a fair amount of um, respect. And I guess as a category, uh, the view has got to be that it is stronger together. Um, and you know, and employment in particular, uh, attracting people to look at I talk about this at nauseam, like attracting people to work in a sector is everyone's challenge, not not any yeah, totally. Um, no solutions here, by the way. But um, I think that it's uh, um, one of the uh, opportunities by the pandemic is to is to think about this as a real structural issue in the market, and how can we really uh, underpin uh, you know, recruitment and and uh, talent for the next decade. I think that's. That level of thinking is what needed. There is, though, very much what's in front of us piece. Yep. And, and as you said, I totally get that. But uh, how do we not be here? Uh, because the economic recovery for Australia into the next decade is going to be underpinned by this. Yeah, um, yeah. You can't do it without people. Yeah. Well, no, no, I agree. I, I think um, one of the interesting things about our industry, having worked in a number of others, is we're friends with our competitors. Yeah. We actually, you know, we might not on stage because you're protecting, you know, the brand that you work for, all that sort of stuff, right? But, you know, when you're sitting there having a beer with someone, you're actually giving a warts and all conversation, you know, about what's mm. happening, what are you doing there, what's happening, you know, and so there's a lot of collegial learning that goes on within your own organisation and outside. But I agree that, that you know, we're seeing this. We, we actually did see this as a great opportunity to reset a whole host of things, yeah. you know, um, and, um, and that's what we tried to do. Yeah. I'm interested in your opinion as to what will happen if we fast forward, say, 12, 24, when, whenever the borders reopen, I guess, to international. Yeah. Um, not only, I think from a people perspective, that's going to present with an entirely different set of challenges. Mm -hmm. I mean, businesses, you, I don't know what you're running at at the moment across your portfolio, um, but if you're doing record months, then you're obviously, you know, uh, or, or record performance, you, you, you're trading quite well and probably quite near the regional stuff's actually the regional stuff's strong, um, yeah. relative to history, of course. Okay. You know, um, and so like if we're talking Palm Cove, 
kind of good luck getting in, you know, for yeah. the next, you know, peak season sort of stuff. But yeah. you're talking cities, you know, we're trading at 45, 50% occupancy. There's plenty of, you know, growth that's available. So, so it sort of depends where you are. So when things, I, I guess, confidence is fully restored to domestic business travel, which will fill the CBDs up a bit more, but yep. then we have international tourists coming back. I mean, there's already pressure on the labour market specifically if we're just talking about that. Yep. Um, when international borders open and, and the additional areas for, uh, for, for I guess, visitors, guests are filled up and that occupancy is taken up, that's yep. going to place, obviously, a lot more pressure on the labour market. I don't think the international workers are going to return as quickly as the, as the guests do. Yeah. Um, so I mean, have, you, have you sort of thought about how, how you would respond or, or what that next sort of period is? I mean, like? it really depends on where you're at. So if you're, if you're predominantly a accommodation, not a full service, you know, with big food and beverage operations, et cetera, et cetera. Manning for 45% isn't that different to manning for 80%. It's literally, you know, some more housekeeping teams and stuff like that, unless you've really skinnied down to, yeah. to you know, yeah, losing your directors of sales or whatever, which we haven't done. Right. You know? So, um, uh, so I, I, no, I think it'll be okay, to be honest. And I think also... Um, there's always challenges. You just get used to it, right? And, yeah. um, you know, I think that the saddest part of, of our industry in the last little bit actually is that those leisure destinations have been good. We've got a whole cohort of Australians that have said Australian hotels are expensive and the service is crap, right? And and the product's not that good. And, um, and they're hitting Australian hotels in the leisure destinations like we've spoken of, of Byron, those sorts of stuff. Well, you know what? It's never been more expensive to go to those places, mm. and and the teams have never been more stretched. So the service levels, you know, I've got an app that looks at, you know, where everyone's, you know, customer satisfaction. It's dipped pretty much across the country, no matter right. whether you're city or regional, by about two three percent, right? And it's customers, customers. Yeah. So that's that's you know online reviews and all that yeah. sort of stuff, right? And and, um, uh, mm. and so you know you look at that and what do you say? Well, it's you know. You think maybe it's to do with price in regional areas, but you go, but that doesn't correlate with city because it's cheaper than it ever used to be in the city, the state, the places. So you look and say, well, what's the variable that's there? And then you just go out and you go to the places and you walk around and you see the variable really is is um, team yeah. members, right? Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, there's some absolutely amazing heroes in the last period of time and hospitality is full of so many great people, you know, but there are also people that... Uh, casual, they're doing it for you know job, understandably, and they're not really invested in it either. So um, you know that's and we're such a people centric business that mm. um, that's an important part. So as a company, it's something that we've always prided ourselves on. So it's something that we're really um, aware of. You mm. know, there. it it is. I think it's noticeable in pretty much every service um, environment at the moment. The uh, the reduction in not necessarily just oh, it's probably just experience and skill level and and sometimes motivation or, or desire to be in those environments as you said but it's um, predominantly you can, you can feel it it's predominantly experience and skill level I yeah think. you know um, particularly in the busy places you just people I think are, are just not um, getting the training they would have once had you know um, going to So you've got a great vantage point to talk about the sector more broadly with your present role at the Accommodation Association, obviously on the ground experience with the hotels. Like, how do you see the sector recovery folding out like, uh, across CBDs, regional and Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's all about the market segments that each, you know, hotel and region is made up of and how they're going to they're, they're going to perform. I think that we're seeing in domestic leisure, and we will while the borders are in this way and the economy is trajectorying, you know, following the trajectory that it is. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. is, we make up words all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, hopefully I'll hear Bill Evans talk about it, you know, in his next presentation. <laughs> um, and, um, and so uh, I think that you're going to see the equivalent of the mining boom, you know, in, in these destinations, right? You're going to see... Um, you're going to see revenues and uh, and profits that that are 
not going to continue, you know, the, so as people then start to go overseas. But I do think there's a real argument in those markets that there's going to be a structural change whereby uh, habits have been formed, people start to go um, to uh, different locations yeah. and they say this is a pretty good experience. I mean, yeah. I know when I, I used to travel overseas a lot, then I had, a, had kids and you come back and travel in Australia and you just remind yourself why people travel halfway around the world to go to this country. You know, there's just some phenomenal parts of, of Australia. So I think that there will be, we'll find a difference between 2019 and current levels for those sorts of markets, but they will be, um, they will be stronger than they once were. I think once you go to CBDs, it's a supply demand, but obviously there's supply demand everywhere, but you're not seeing as much supply still coming into those markets. There are structural impediments in some ways to, to them. Um, in a CBD... In regions you're talking about. In, in, in many of the regions, yeah. yeah. I mean, trying to build a hotel in... Yeah. Sure. I mean, I'm talking about Byron a bit, but Byron, you know, it's not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. So, um, and, and that could be replicated in a number of locations, to be honest. So I think also people have been burnt in the past by those locations, be it banks or be individuals, and so they're, they're a little more reluctant. Um, and whereas I think CBDs, I think that there's a couple of really interesting variables in play. I'm a... I'm a believer stronger for longer. Let me let me say that from the outset. You know, uh, tourism has been an above uh, above system growth globally. You know, at five percent for a long time now, and I, and I think that will continue. And I think Australia is perfectly positioned. You know, to to benefit from that. Uh, I think, ironically, in a medium level, there may not be the same supply that that was going to come on that yeah. does come on. And so, once you see your way through and you see that demand is back then you may be even in a better place, interestingly, um, in a CBD bit once you fast forward a couple of years than where you were going to be because of that. And if the supply does come on, it's probably not going to come on as lumpily, you know. Mm. Um, it'll be, you know, more, you know, continuous. And I think that's going to be beneficial in that regard. So it's about seeing your way through there. The, the big variable between now and then, I think there's two big variables. The first one is... Um, is Corporate travel, you know, that's that's the big thing that hasn't come back as much in CBD locations, and it's a big part of the market. Um, and the other one is, you know, we did some analysis as to if you had bubbles with countries that were meaningful bubbles, a bit like what New Zealand and us have right now, where you're not having to quarantine and all that sort of stuff in the same way. Um, particularly with China, although the relationship there is obviously pretty poor politically right now. Mm. Um you could see over 50% in most markets of international tourism come back. And I think we're starting to hear from some people internationally about how attractive Australia is as a country to go to. You know, I think that the bushfires was a negative and then it was followed by, um, you know, Australia being able to do yeah. what we have done um, and New Zealand the same thing. And so I can really see an argument for people saying, I want to go to Australia as opposed to Europe America, whatever it may well be, you know, if you're coming out of a number of parts of the world. So I think that's going to be interesting. The other variable is going to be air travel, you know. Um, clearly, we're a flight destination. So be that either domestically or not. And so it was always fundamentally important that Virgin stayed alive. Mm. And the, it'll be really interesting to see the airline's, you know, a, a desire and ability to be carrying passengers back because they've been hit so badly internationally. So they're the variables that I think that are going to go there. You know, to reiterate, I think the next couple of years are not going to be the easiest, but we're going to get to a situation where, you know, everyone's making a bit of money. It's not what it was, but, you know, I think it's a stronger for longer story down the line. What What are your thoughts on the long-term uh, behaviour with, with regards to corporate travel? even just domestically. Yeah, you know, yeah. Do you subscribe to some of the theories that it's never going to go back to, or some of the forecasts that it's never going to go back to what it was? I, I think there's a structural change. I think it's the single market that will have a structural change. Yeah, you know, okay. I, I think that, um, you know, I hear people saying, oh, look, people want to be seeing each other. We're not saying that they don't do that. We're just saying that they, they do it a little less, you know, because um, I think people, you know, I don't know many people that miss their corporate travel. You know, I used to be on the road quite a lot myself. I've been on the road three times in the last five months. You know, I don't miss that aspect of, of what I do. Um, and whenever I speak to people who are outside of our industry, you know, 
they're all saying the same thing. We're mm. not going to travel as much as we once did. So you've got that argument. Then you've got the argument that human beings eventually return to normal, right? Yes. And, you know, it's what's normally overplayed. But I do think that... that um, I don't think I think cities will have a bit of a CBDs will have a bit of a structural change because I think that you know not everyone's going to go back to five days in the city office and I do think in the same way corporate travel will will be a bit softer um, but once the economy keeps growing it gets back you know what I mean so individual organisations might be a bit less but um, but as the economy grows it'll eventually get to one hundred percent and above mm. what it was. I'm reminded when we were interviewing Dave from Avalo and he was saying three days, three weeks, three months. Like it's one of those things where the three-year position is probably going to be different to, the, you know, that nine-year outlook, I think, like in terms of just thinking your way through. I spent a lot of time trying to think my way, how does this, how do we recommission cities is what I'm thinking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that as a, you can't just fire the thing back up because, you know, it's been on the bench totally. a bit. And, um, and, you know, when you're talking recovery, it's like, well, what are the phases? What, what, what phase are we about to enter into? When does corporate travel come to this level and so on? Totally. And, and for CBDs, to be honest, I think that there's, there's the threat, but there's enormous opportunity. You yeah, know, talk, if you, well, if where you, you see the opportunities? To, I'm keen to... Well, I think, if, you know, if you were to start from scratch, would you design a CBD the way that they lived pre-pandemic? You know, you'd love to see... Laneways more activated as green spaces yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. You just love to see that liveliness that goes. If Almost the city is bold, right? That's yeah, the issue. Exactly. Yeah. If you were an urban planner, you want to have life, but you want to have, um, you'd love to see, you know, like everyone talks about Highline, but it's a great example, right, mm. of, of what can happen. And I think you're seeing Melbourne trying to bring their city back to life as, you know, as a Melbourneian, I probably noticed that the most. And, and, um, and you know, it's people dining in the streets in a way that they didn't used to. It's it's creatives, you know, doing exhibitions and things like that. I mean, that that's about. Wouldn't that have been amazing before? It, was, it would have been great, but it just wasn't palatable in the same way. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, if the city evolves um, to to have more life, and Melbourne's always done it very well. You know, you'd love to see it in the other cities. You know, do the same thing. That'd be a an amazing outcome where we could turn back and say, gee, this reset was just awesome. You know, mm. we have more balance for a work-life balance because we're, you know, that flexibility to run spoke of, that's now much more of a reality. And the cities have got a different feel. It's still got a life to it, but it's got a more human and green element to them that, you know, that you would have loved. And so, you know, that's the optimist in me that can say if we went down that path. But I think that it's actually a realistic possibility mm. because I think that the governments are going to be really grappling with how to restore CBDs as engines of our economy, you know, um, and they were, they were massive engines of our economy. Um, and I think the other thing that's going to be really interesting, we saw the flight to living outside of the CBD, but um, how that plays out is going to be really interesting too. Um, and, uh, you know, no one wants to, commute an hour and a half to go to work every day let's be honest right that you do yeah. it because that's where the jobs are if you can create and this is what you know sydney was do, is doing with Parramatta. you know you can create urban centers outside of this the cbd what a great thing for society to have there's less people on the roads you've got more work-life balance it's just great for society so some of those sorts of things i think will be really interesting to watch mm. how it evolves and you know if you go through through it, you know, some of it will be planning, some of it will just be responding to market forces, to be honest. And so I think it's going to be um, interesting to evolve. I certainly prefer the way we're working now than the way that we used to work, mm. and I think a lot of people do. Mm. Yeah. I, I, one of the things that I grapple with a bit is, uh, particularly in the context of Sydney and its CBD, is that for quite a long time, the cultural use of the city has been linked to the corporate workforce, i.e. people come in and then they're in the city. And so the cultural use of the city predominantly flows out of people being at work and and, and does vary from city to city. Mm. Uh, And so to some degree, if you accept that, there's going to be a decline of some sorts around uh, um, work from office. Um, You know, there's all all sorts of theories about what level it's going to be, Mm. but it's uh, a significant amount of the... um, the audience that would otherwise use the city culturally, you know, then add to a corporate travel, lack of tourism and so forth, you're left with the situation of have we actually got the product right for people to 
come to it as a destination. So this goes back to the green space you're talking about, mm. like its cultural use, activations, the activation, a cultural, other cultural pursuits. So I think it's watching space. And I'm fascinated to see how it unfolds. Um, yeah. yeah. It's I going agree. to be very different by location as well, obviously. Yeah. I mean, spending time in uh, – I'm often in Melbourne, Sydney or Brisbane CBDs probably once a week or in two of them. Yeah. Um, and they're all except, exceptionally different, I think. Like Sydney's okay. come back a lot quicker than the others. Like Sydney CBD feels pretty normal. I don't know when you, you're in there quite a lot, um, especially from a food and beverage perspective. To me, it feels... And I think it's a tale of two... Uh, two no, there's two tales, right? Like I think that um, my measure actually in Sydney is when's Golden Century going to be open after midnight because... That's a that's a litmus test for city health. Like, like, and so going back to that argument about you know how much of the city has been recommissioned, I, mm. you know the numbers, how many businesses are closed. If they were open, then demand would be split out across. You know, so the feel can the city can feel like it is buzzing, and it does from time to day. People have to queue up again for coffee occasionally, mm. but that's because five other cafes haven't reopened. You know, totally. So. But if you compare that to Melbourne right now, yeah. Melbourne feels very still feels quite depressed to me like this it's funny because because we saw i remember there was well, it would have been a few months ago now it was early january and i i worked through i missed lunch right and so it was 3 p.m and i was hungry mm. so i went to try and get a sandwich i went from our hotel which is on little burke street and i walked up to flinders lane down to exhibition and up to spring <laughs> the only place i could get anything to eat was at schnitz and you know there's several food courts there they were all shut like literally and i was Oh, it was a real shock to the system. Yeah. It was like, oh no, please no! You know this is. This <laughs> is a, by the way, this was a Friday. This was a Friday. Really? This was a Friday, right? Even the supermarkets were closed, right? And um, and uh, not yet. Yeah, nothing against Schnitz. It was just you know that was the only thing that was open. And then, you know, fast forward to now. I was out the other night and I went to Gimlet Andrew McConnell's new restaurant. And you know, we went beforehand. Middle East Saturday. You know, we went beforehand to um, a bar packed, you know, went to the restaurant, you know, city was a buzz, walked out at, and we were saying, how great is it? Walked out at quarter to one and said, city's still a buzz. I forgot this is what the city looked like at, you know, yeah. one to two and stuff like that. And, and it was, um, it, it feels to me that Melbourne is, is getting much closer, but it's interesting for you guys who spend a lot of time there, but don't live there saying, actually, no, it still feels the shadow of what it was. I think I totally agree with you. Daytimes, I think, are very stark in contrast to night times. Like, I, I was there last week. CBD during the day felt very, very quiet. Yeah, that's um, true, And then yeah. at night, I went up to Flinders Lane, same, like, Gimlet. Yeah. Um, yeah, and these are all... Garden State. But also, these all are, them were these are all yeah. the places you guys are talking about, no surprise, a well-run, well-respected, best-in-class. Oh, so totally. you And this is the thing. Sydney, Saturday night, my life's become a nightmare because I get texts from all these people saying I need a table at a restaurant. And I'm like, well, yeah, yeah. it's it's everything's booked out, but they're the better-quality operators. No, 100%. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's what you've seen is that, the unsurprisingly, the better-quality operators are doing well and the, the yeah. not-so-quality operators are, are going. I mean, I looked at my local high street because that was really interesting. I was like, oh, you know, I was sitting there thinking as a Melbourneian, like, What's our city going to look like? You know, and I'm sure you know the same thing was going in different areas. What's what's my local high street going to look like when it's there? Because I knew what impact was happening on business, and I just thought that a lot of people yeah. won't be able to survive this. Right? Yeah. What happened was that a couple of the players that um, that were the weaker players that I never went to anyway didn't survive, yeah. and those that that I did go to were absolutely fine. Yeah, you know, and, like, and it would be the same. Give us one example, but you know, the better operators are now will. Um, as you'd expect, and it happens in any market post the event, they stay the course, improve, and, and post they will improve their market share. Which, when you think about it, is as hard as it is for the business that we lose. There's also going to be a leveling up of market mm. share for the best operators. I, I, I totally agree, and that was the one good thing. thing in hotels because they're physical assets that don't go away. Someone else just buys it cheaper. You know, that doesn't happen as much. But I remember speaking to, you know, some friends in the restaurant side of the business and I was saying, you know what, if you can get through this, you're actually going to be better off yeah. because the demand's not going to subside, no. but the level of competition is. And that's what happens in recessions, yeah, you know. Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, it does sound a little harsh, but it's just the reality of how 
the you know capitalist world works. It does, and I, but for the, I think for the listeners of this podcast particularly, like, and I, part of it's to tell the stories of people like yourself, Julian, and your journey, and you know inspire people to think their way through careers in in this sector. But also for listeners, there's an element of how do we get to excellence in everything we do, and so the cultural discussion, the businesses that have invested in that probably held the teams together, so tick. Mm. People that have uh, hedged, not necessarily hedged deliberately, but you've got exposure to CBD and regions, so mm. you're at least hedged across two markets, Correct. not just concentrated in one. All of these things are, um, you know, in time will be seen as some of the things that helped some businesses through it and then sort them out the other side stronger. So I Absolutely. think they're the right topics to be talking about mm. um, as we look at sector recovery more broadly. Uh, are you seeing any impacts... Um, on movement of demographics across property types as a result? Like, are, are, are room rates being adjusted in sort of five-star premium properties to, to oh. four-star rates now and doing different clientele in? Or no. Is, no, is no, no. In some parts of the world in previous recessions that did occur, but actually everything's in fairly lockstep because what's different about this is it's market segments that are, that are really different. You know, you've got, as we said, some are firing and some are just, DOA. Yeah. And so, um, uh, no, I mean, look, you do see, I think, the more lifestyle assets doing better on a, on a you know, on a weekend, you know, for that staycation, you know, sort of uh, business. But, but you know, when you look at the, the data that comes out, there's very little evidence to say that any segment's doing better than another. You know, it's more, it's more the, um, the location and the market segments that are doing better. So... Does that make sense? It, yeah, I mean, so... I might be talking if, too much jargon. No, no, I'm just... I'm, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm totally thinking out loud, but, I mean, if, if, ever, if say, everyone's operating at 60% where they were 80, like, like 90, whatever it was, so yeah. that's 30%, is that coming off the five-star, four-star, three-star? No, no, it's, it's, it's almost, it's it's almost uh, across the board. Yeah, that's, so it's come in, It's like relative to each yep. market's come yep. off, say, 10% to make up the whole? That's or, correct, that's yeah, correct, okay. yeah, yeah. Whereas in the past... Economy held up better than luxury, you know, in part the GFC, right. that sort of yeah. stuff. And in different parts of the world, you are seeing different things. But in Australia, it's almost in lockstep. Yeah, right. So Matt Burke from SDR actually just had some slides talking to that yesterday. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So we're talking about the sector um, and recovery. What what plans have you got in place now um, as a business, do you think? Or have you made plans? For recovery? Or? Yeah, or just in terms of, like, say, even after recovery, like, what, what's the yeah. long-term objective for the business? Oh, long-term, uh, so family business, there's there's three things that, that I'm tasked with doing. You know, run a successful business, and that's, you know, governed by probably the, the financial health and growth of that business, you know. Then run a business that we're proud of, which is governed by, um, you know, the, the employees experience, the culture of the place and the customers, you know, the reputation with customers and don't bet the farm. So, <laughs> um, so they're, they're the three things. And so our ambitions really haven't changed. Um, it's very much about growing out, you know, our portfolio into different parts of the country, um, predominantly through management, but, you know, where we can afford it, we will still purchase. Um, we are partnering with some capital partners who are, you know, trying to find some hotels for them that we will manage that will be good for them. Um, and and try to, you know, grow organically each of our hotels to their full potential, which is exactly what it was, yeah. to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, so it really hasn't changed uh, what we're looking to do. What we are seeing, though, is that there's some opportunities that are opening up for groups like us. We've now got to a size that that people see us as a, you know, a, and, we, and a track record, I should say, you know, as a, yeah. as a genuine competitor, you know, to the big international chains for hotels. And so, yeah. you know, we've got a pretty healthy pipeline um, of hotels coming on and because we're not everywhere mm. that gives us an opportunity to grow into these markets so um, you know we would be disappointed if in you know five years we weren't 20 hotels yeah right, right. or you know that sort of thing right um, but the world wouldn't end if we were yeah you know like we will only do deals that make sense you know we're not going to just chase stuff um, that doesn't make sense we're pretty disciplined about that um, uh I mean, so so uh, that's that's what we're trying to do. Uh, I 
if I ask too much in terms of giving away any kind of strategic uh, thinking, tell me. But are there any locations or markets you, you, you would really love to be in? Lots that I'd love to be in. You know, um, the reality is that um, is that when you're not buying the assets yourself, um, you are pitching against other people to manage it, right? Mm. So, you know, when I hear hoteliers say, oh, well, we're only going to be in this block and we're going after this location, you know, there's very few brands in the world that operate like that, to yeah. be perfectly honest. Um, so, you know, most people are, are responding to someone saying, I'm building a hotel here, you know, yeah, and, totally. you know, you pitch for it and if you get it, then fabulous. Of course, there are ones that you're going to go harder for, right, you know, that are more strategically or financially um, important to you. So I think there's... You know, we we want we've no secret we've been wanting to grow our presence in capital cities, and we have done that, and we will continue to do that. Um, we're also working on a number of really interesting, exciting regional projects that will, I think, you know, um, if if they happen, and if and if you know we're lucky enough to manage them, then um, they're going to redefine some you know, what the quality benchmark is for some some spaces. You know, there's pretty exciting stuff. Um, and yeah, so so it's really about uh, national. New Zealand is something that we would start looking at too. Um, yeah, right. You know, uh, and so yeah, but we're not really looking beyond Australia and New Zealand uh, at the moment. We're still a lot of growth for us. You know, we've got several. We've got a couple of brands, and we've got this white label management. So there's plenty of opportunity for us in the, in here. Good to hear. Good to have homegrown success stories. So you know, long may it continue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Julian, we have the standard five that you've been sweating on. I can see the bees forming. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, we would love to know uh, a book you've recently read or a podcast you're listening to and enjoying. Book that I've recently read. Um, I thought it was going to be favourite book. Favourite book, is, I, I know. Oh, favourite favorite book is, is a book called The Unbearable Lightness of Being by a guy called Milan Kundera, who's... who's um, was Czech. Um, so uh, I did an arts degree, right? So, you know, there's a little bit of that that goes in there. More recently, though, um, I've been fascinated to see what's been happening in America. So um, there's been a few books around around that um, and oh, I've forgotten the name of it, but it basically is is talking about, you know, why America finds itself in a situation and the forces that, it, that, that shaped it, finding yeah. itself in that situation. Um, if I could remember, it'd be very good for the reason. I'll let you know, and you can and you can uh, <laughs> yeah. tell people. But um, it was by a British journalist who who has lived in America for quite some time. Um, so oh. even if you Google that, it had it had <laughs> come up. Um, yeah. And uh, and so yeah, no. So that, that, that they were both ones. Yeah. One's a book that's I found quite profound for me, and the other one is 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 you know something that just really pikes my interest. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, uh, any podcasts you want to throw out? We know that you listen. You're an well, the back of the house. Exactly. Well, I mean, I, I, I spent a bit of time in the car, so I was <laughs> saying that I was listening to that. But look, podcasts. I, I to be honest, I used to listen to a number of business ones, and they didn't. They sort of fell out of my brain, you know. Yeah. And so I thought, well, rather than you know, just be always on, mm. you know, let's just listen to music yeah. and yeah, stuff good. like that, good. right? Good. Yeah. Speaking of, um, okay, let's give you your favourite album of all time then, maybe, or an uh, artist that you like. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I grew up in the 90s, so I'm, I'm 41 now, and um, so Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam. Is, is, uh, is, is a go-to. Um, Which album is your favourite? Well, ironically, it's still 10. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like that's still the one that I look at every track and think it's yeah. phenomenal. Um, it's great album. And uh, so... It's uh, yeah, but that, that's that's rad. Now I suspect we'll be drinking some wine later tonight. But uh, what, what's your favourite drink? Um, I thought about this. The re- it is wine, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, so and, and beer. So to be honest, uh, <laughs> and single, best, single best answer. Spirits, <laughs> spirits, um, spirits. I don't know where I'm at with as much. So uh, I tend to not go go with them um, as much. But uh, yeah, realistically, it'd be red wine, and and I do enjoy a frothy. Yeah, very oh, good. Yeah. Can you call out a, a name, a brand? 
Yeah, uh, look, there's so many amazing ones, but you know, I was thinking about this. You know, what's what have I got most of in my cellar? And um, it's probably Mosswood Cabernet. You know, mm. for when that was the wine that I bought my when my kids wine. was uh, when the kids were born, um, and uh, you know what it, you know what it achieves at its price point. I think is just where is it? Where's it from? I don't know. Mosswood. It's in um, Margaret River. Oh. Have you apparently the 2018 yeah, is exceptional? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I keep on that every year. It's you know they've had such a run in Margaret yeah. River. Every year it's like this is another amazing vintage. And you're like I've got it. You know, not just. <laughs> it's a <not going laughs> yeah. uh, very very good gear. And so, beer? What do you go to beer? Uh, Stone and Woods probably one of my favourites to be honest. Um, but um, I'm I'm I can go in a number of places on both. You know, when people say you know what wine do you like, I generally say. Good wine. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what beer, you know, drinks, I'm pretty flexible. Honest, you're a man after my own, <laughs> own drinking heart. <laughs> Flexitarian, I like it. Uh, now, you can answer this either in respect of a hotel or yeah. a venue of your choosing, but favourite venue or hotel or both. Yeah, uh, look, um, if I go to hotel, I think Sapphire Freysenay was a hotel that really, mm. you know, when you went there was just... Mind-blowing, right? So given what I just said, the fact that you get 50 wines that, you know, um, they'll open the bottle and pour you by the glass um, was a bit of a highlight. And then the, I like nature, so the, the views mm. and then being out in, in that part of Tassie I thought was really special. We had we had a, an amazing experience there. And to be fair, at that price point, you'd hope so, yeah. right? Um, but, you know, it, it's certainly equal to any hotel that I've been to around the world. And so I, thought, I think that's that. Look, in terms of restaurants, my favourite dining experience was um, in Mexico City and um, I heard about this restaurant that was, I think it was number 30 on San Pell's, you know, top restaurants of the, you know, the world and I was there with my wife and um, it was a pretty amusing experience, you know, they, they keep on coming out with courses and they would, I don't speak Spanish, right, and they would keep on putting the course down and introduce it in Spanish and we're like, what do you reckon this is? <laughs> But the food was unbelievably good, you know, um, and it was just a, you know, a great experience. And, you know, the other ones can be another memorable one is, I could keep going, I'll stop. Another memorable one, I was in the, I was in the desert in Amman and, you know, mm. I was eating this, you know, this Indian curry that had been frozen from the night before that um, <laughs> that uh, that was being cooked over a fire and, you know, it was a, an incredible night and with mates and it was just, you know, that's a whole other story. So, well, I'm um, waffling. I yeah, can keep going. Yeah, and like, for example, what were you doing in Desert Oman? But we'll come back to that on the next podcast. But, um, um, and, and did I nearly run into you having visit bring from the pool? Anyway, we'll move on. Um, now, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, who in the industry are you most inspired by and why? In the industry? Um, good question. Look, I, I, I mentioned before, I've not met this person, but they've spoken at a few conferences. I think Sebastian Bazan is pretty, pretty awesome. You know, um, I texted Simon McGrath, who runs a core here yesterday, and said, "She's I like your boss." You know, um, is is um, is he as good to work for as he seems to be? And he texted back and he said, "Better." And I said, "Gee, you're lucky then." You know, um, look, I think he he speaks the truth. You know, it's one of the things that I always like to do is just. You know, call out what I was, but also strategically, I think he's been really interesting. He's been brave, you know, and he's he's, you know, you look at what he has done in terms of portfolio. Mm. You know, he's filled all the major gaps that you'd want, and he's turned around in the space that I'm passionate about, mm. and you know, gone from being a pretty major deficit on the luxury and lifestyle side of things to having a suite of brands that I think would be the envy of pretty much every group 100%. now. Yeah. And I think he's also been brave enough to go into other areas and and um, not not bet the farm, so to speak, but strategically I think he's been both smart and I think he's been brave and I think that there's a lot to be said for someone who is seeing the future and seeing that it's changing from, you know, the core of what it is. And it's not just changing now. He's positioning the portfolio for 10, 20 years' time as well as right now. Mm. And so I think that is something, you know, that I really admire. And being able to, you know, normally there's an advertorial for your brand every time someone speaks at a conference and he just says it how it is. And uh, about the growth of, you know, technology players like OTAs and, and, and Airbnb and how they're totally, you know, 
leveling the playing field. You know, that's something that is a big call for a CEO of a, one of the biggest hotel brands in the world to be calling out and saying, we've got to compete against these guys as well, right? So I think it's the combination of those things together that, you know, I really admire. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, he's the CEO, global CEO C- of, of a core. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, their portfolio businesses, if you look at that now, across hospitality, property, um, as in re- um, real estate, yeah. and, and then obviously the hotels, is um, it's just immense. It's crazy. It? Yeah, they yeah, seem yeah. to be adding different brands through acquisition almost weekly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And look, I'm also a big admirer of anyone that started a business from scratch and has mm. grown it. You know, I mean, obviously, given it's a family business, you understand what happens there. And so, you know, people that have done that, and there's, our industry is full of so many of them. You know, I think it's, it's, it's great. Well, I think two years after our original uh, invitation. Nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome company, Julian. Thanks for joining us on Backup House. Thanks, Jim. Great to be here. <laughs>